this morning. We are coming to the penultimate study on the life of Abraham. And today it's chapter 18, page 24 in the church Bible, as we read together verses 1 through 15. Over the last few Sundays, we have been spending Sunday mornings with Abraham. And last Sunday morning in chapter 17, God revealed himself to Abraham and spoke in deep and intimate ways. And that was the first time in 13 years that God had engaged with Abraham at that level. And so in many ways, chapter 17 was a turning point in the life of Abraham. And we come into chapter 18. And in chapter 18, we're about to see God fulfill his promises in the life of Abraham and Sarah. And so we begin verse 1. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great tree of Mamre. And while he was sitting at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day, Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. And when he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, if I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under the tree. Let me give you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on your way, now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered. Do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three seths of fine flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. He then brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and he set these before them. And while they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Where is your wife, Sarah? They asked him. There, in the tent, he said. Then the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already old and well advanced in years, and Sarah was well past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, After I am worn out and my master is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, Yes, you did laugh. Now this morning as we come to Genesis chapter 18, we know what Abraham suspects but is not certain. Because when the passage opens, it opens with words of great anticipation. The Lord appeared to Abraham. Those are five words that are always worth paying attention to. The Lord appeared to Abraham. And you know that something spectacular is coming. And here is Abraham 
getting on with a typical day along with his wife, Sarah. They may have been running errands that morning or getting their day underway. It seemed, for all intents and purposes, a normal, mundane, average kind of day. And as the heat of the day began to build, we discover from the passage that Abraham is sitting at the entrance to his tent. And I imagine that Abraham was sitting there after a busy morning. And of course, in the ancient Near East, as it was getting warmer and warmer, he would begin to relax a little. And before he knew it, he was nodding off. Now, if you have been nodding off and woke up and watched me nodding off, you're in for a fright. But that's what was going on. He was nodding off in the heat of the day. And then he opens his eyes and he sees three strangers in close proximity to his tent. And one of the things you know about living in the desert is this, that you can see people coming for miles and miles. It's a bit like living in Wyoming. I visited Wyoming about 10 years ago with Ruth and Michael. We had a long drive ahead of us. It was 13 hours. And at the end of the 13 hours, the landscape was exactly the same as when we started. It's called Big Sky Country for a reason. You can see for miles upon miles upon miles. In fact, the folks we were staying with told us that in Wyoming, you can see your dog run away for three days. That's how vast it is. And here is Abraham waking up, coming to consciousness, sees three figures and thinks, who are they and where did they come from? And how did they manage to get here without me at least seeing them or being aware of them? And what does the passage say? Verse 2. Abraham looked up, saw three men standing nearby, and when he saw them, he hurried from the entrance to his tent to meet them and bowed to the ground. And the question is why? Abraham is an older man by this time. He has accumulated significant wealth. He has a large, wider family in that sense. He has significant livestock. He is someone but here is this older man who holds a significant position in the community, bowing low to the ground. Here is an act of humility, hospitality. It's a gesture of eloquence, one of honor, and of course, one of deference. Because he realizes something is going on and he can't quite put his finger on it. It's been 24 or 25 years since God first called Abraham, impacted his life, transformed his life, called him to follow him. And there have been moments of spectacular intimacy with God. Abraham, the great recipient of God's grace. Three times he's known in scripture as the friend of God. Isaiah chronicles and again in the book of Hebrews, a friend of God. That's quite something. Abraham is for us a model of unquestioned obedience, uninhibited faith. He is a role model in many ways. And yet over these Sundays together, we've also noticed there have been times when both Abraham and Sarah did not live by faith, but lived by fear. And God consistently interacted with them, took them to that deeper place, taught them, fashioned them, shaped them to become 
the man and woman he longed for them to be. And now here in chapter 18, God is about to fulfill his ultimate promise to them. But they are not aware of it just yet. Now as the passage develops, what do we discover? Abraham invited them to join him for a meal. And that's exactly what happened. And he said, let me bring a little water so you can wash your feet. Let's sit in the shade. I can prepare a meal for you. And that's exactly what we see. Now I wonder if you're here this morning and you're saying, Richard, I would give anything for such an experience to sit down close to God and share a meal, engage him in conversation just to enjoy his presence. Can you imagine what that might be like? Talk of intimacy, talk of engagement and interaction. Can you imagine sitting down with God? And I suspect Abraham was beginning to say, wait a minute, there is something different here. And the story, of course, begins to unfold. Now, for most of us, I think, not only would we say, I'd love such an experience, but when you receive such an invitation, your imagination begins to work overtime. And if you're anything like me, I would be saying to myself, life will simply not be the same after dinner with God. It simply won't be. My prayer life will move to a whole new level. My engaging with the scriptures and reading and learning will move to another level entirely because I will have met with God. I would have new resolve. I would be energized. I would be encouraged and strengthened in every aspect of my faith. It would be absolutely spectacular. And it would be. But please remember this. We have the reality of what Abraham could only dream about. Now let me explain. We have the scriptures and Abraham did not. We know all about God's redemptive purposes from eternity past to eternity still to come. We know of Isaiah and Jeremiah. We know the book of Psalms. We know the minor prophets. We know what happens in Exodus and Deuteronomy and Numbers and First and Second Chronicles and First and Second Kings. We have a New Testament. We have the Gospels where we encounter Christ and be transformed by him. And Abraham way back then looked forward in faith. We look back in faith at all that was a accomplished at Calvary for us. We have what Abraham only imagined. And more than that, to crown it all, we live in a post-Pentecost world. Not only do we have the scriptures, not only do we find God speaking us to us through them, but we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Please hear me when I say this. 
Pentecost was a game changer in every sense. Because from Pentecost on, it was no longer that the Holy Spirit was an influence, leading, guiding, directing his children. From Pentecost on, it's no longer that the Holy Spirit came for a season. It's no longer that he came to help us with a particular project as we've outworked the purposes and will of God. No, all of that is now in the past. He came to dwell inside of us, to transform and renew and energize and invigorate, to highlight our sin, to bring forgiveness and assurance and deep abiding intimacy with the Lord. That's why the Holy Spirit is so important. And Abraham, by faith, looked forward and longed for it. So when we're tempted to think, wouldn't that be something to sit down and have a meal with the Lord? We have so much more, so much more. And as the passage unfolds, what comes next? Verse 8. Talking of Abraham, he says, And he then brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and sat these before them. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Where is your wife, Sarah? They asked him. There in the tent, he said. Then the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Here's my question. Why the question, where is your wife, Sarah? Did God forget where Sarah was? Was it, oops, just for a second, it slipped his mind? Of course not. Why doesn't he simply say, where is your wife? Why does he add Sarah? At the moment we are born, we're given a name. And that name is attached to us for the rest of our lives. And it becomes deeply personal. It becomes who we are. That is distinctive about each one of us. There are times every day when our name is not important. But never, ever, ever is it unimportant to the Lord. Never. The moment we are born, he never treats us as a chemical compound. He never looks at us simply as economic potential. He loves us. And he loves us because he loves us because he loves us. And he will always, always, always use our name Homeland Security never phoned me on my birthday and say, how's it going? And incidentally, happy birthday. Amazon don't do it. People I give my social security to don't do it. I'm just a number to them. But never with the Lord. And that's why he says, where is your wife, Sarah? Because what's about to take place is deeply personal. Deeply personal. And the purposes and plans of God is always about people. Always about people. When folks come to see me and talk about a baptism or a funeral or a wedding, 
after I ask them to sit down and pray with them before the conversation starts, I usually say, as I'm taking notes, give me the full name of your son or daughter to be baptized. What was your dad's name so I have it right at the funeral? What's your full name so I can build it into the vows taken at a wedding? Names are a reflection of personality, of who we are. That's why he says, where is your wife, Sarah? And Sarah is about to have her deepest longing answered. Several chapters ago, she spent a significant amount of time orchestrating situations and circumstances in order that she would have a child or at least have a child in the family and it did not turn out well and she had schemed and plotted and manipulated and it ended in disaster and in that chapter she longed passionately for a child and now God was about to answer her prayer and notice what happens now, Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent, which was behind him, behind Abraham. Abraham and Sarah were already old and well advanced in years, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I am worn out and my master is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, do you see that in the text? Verse 13 Lord, capital L-O-R-D. It's the first time we read Lord in that passage in the sense of his being divine earlier when Abraham bows down. He says, my Lord, lowercase. Can you see that? Here is Yahweh. Here is the creator of the ends of the earth. God deeply in love with his children. That's contained in that name. L-O-R-D capital. Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I am old? What was Sarah doing? Was it quite simply that she could not give herself permission to believe what she had longed for? Was it that she was so wounded, so fractured, her heart so splintered that she could not offer it up once again? Was she protecting herself by thinking, no, I daren't go down this road again? And what Sarah discovered was exactly what multiple generations have discovered down through the millennia. That in order to heal a broken heart, you need to give to God all the pieces. Not some, but all. The resentment she'd felt, the bitterness she'd endured, the deep heart and disappointment, the sense of betrayal that God was not giving her a child fast enough to suit her purposes. And I suspect that over the next year, all of those pieces were being gathered again in order that Sarah might take them and offer them to him once more. If you are here this morning and you're hurting and God has not answered you in the ways you had hoped, 
if life has been a deep disappointment for you recently, and you're wondering, what on earth is he doing? And why would he allow this into my life? And why would he disappoint me? And why would he hurt me in this manner? I thought he loved me. And if that is the case, please hear this this morning. That God did not only come all those years ago, centuries ago, to Abraham. But this morning he comes again. And he says, please remember what I've done for you. I have given you my body broken for you, my blood shed for you. And it may be as we come to communion this morning, you need to gather in anxiety and worry and deep concern and disappointment. And dare we say, hidden sin. And gather it all together. And in transparency, with authenticity, offer that heart back and say, Father, touch me. Change me. Radically begin to work in my life again. Sustain me. Enable me to persevere. Let me be yours once more. And Sarah, with incredulity laughed at the purposes of God, purposes she had longed for. And in a year, that is exactly what happened. A son was born. The passage closes with, why did Sarah laugh? The Lord asked. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Verse 14, capitals, L-O-R-D. In 1998, I baptized a wee boy called Finlay McLaughlin. I was living in Inverness at the time. It was my first baptism. I knew his parents extremely well, Fiona and Duncan. Ruth and I had been at Bible college with them back in the early 1980s. They came from the western islands of Scotland, from the island of uh, Stornoway. Duncan was a police officer. They'd been married for 15 years. And they'd been told by a number of doctors they were never to have a family. And one Friday morning, as Fiona was sitting at her kitchen table, drinking coffee, reading her Bible, she read Genesis chapter 18. And when she read the part that said, and the Lord will give you a son and I will return in a year, she scoffed. She said, I laughed out loud, just like Sarah. And then I read the passage where Sarah, in credulity, laughed. And I got a little fright because I thought, this is me. Several months later, her body began to change. She went to her doctor and said, I think I'm coming down with the flu. And the doctor said, let's have a little look. She did not have the flu. She was an expectant mom. And one year later, here was I, had the enormous privilege of baptizing young Finlay. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Fiona like so many of us have had to pick up those pieces of a broken heart 
put them back together and pre present and surrender every aspect of her life to his reign and rule. This morning, as you come to this table, you may well have to say, Father, forgive me. I've been stupid. I responded badly to what you told me. I've not lived as I ought. Please forgive me for my sin. Let me begin with you again. And one last thing. Please remember, nothing is too hard for the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this challenging passage of Scripture. Thank you for all that it teaches us. And may those of us this morning wrestling with a broken heart, a heart that is reluctant to come to you, a heart that has been wounded and disappointed in the past, enable us, please, to surrender and submit every aspect of our life to you. Father, hear our prayers. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen.